podcast and a special thank you to those who have stuck with us we got a question on twitter last week or actually earlier this week about how our uh, listenership is after losses gotta say not good not great um so thanks that uh, to, to everyone that has listened to us uh, this is the lions 24 7 podcast i'm sean fitz this is tyler donahue tyler penn state heading to indiana this weekend in you know you don't want to call it a must win or a make or break or any sort of cliche that you could throw out there but uh yeah this is a big one for penn state bigger than it probably should be a program that needs some confidence right now, and you look at their upcoming Big Ten schedule with three ranked opponents, Iowa uh, and uh, Michigan and Wisconsin, it's a long way to go to get to Rutgers. So I think to get, if you want to get right, work some things out. I think this game in particular falls a, kind of favorable on the schedule for where they are right now and what they're in need of. But at the same time, last few trips to Bloomington have not been cakewalks. And uh, this is a program at crossroads right now in, in a few different ways to throw a cliche out there because if we did need one. We, we needed the cliche. That's true. Um, no, I mean, uh, you're absolutely right. Memorial Stadium never been overly kind to Penn State. Penn State's had a, a pretty good record there, but at the same time, they're always close games. And, and like we mentioned with Michigan State, like we mentioned with App State, you keep it close as long as you can and anything can happen in the fourth quarter. Um, Penn State, you know, searching for, to, I guess, to regain that identity. Of course, they, they ran up the score in a, in a few games early this year. You thought the offense was clicking. Boom, you hit the last two games and all of a sudden, you know, you you don't have what you thought you had. Um, of course, you know, the, some of that you could see coming. I mean, a lot of that, the, the garbage time points were there, and we were talking about Sean Clifford for Heisman and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, and now that's gone. But uh, the opportunity certainly is there. I mean, Indiana, you know, hasn't fared any better than Penn State in the last couple of weeks. Of course, you know, they've played Ohio State as well. They got thrashed at Indiana, or excuse me, at Iowa last weekend. So, you know, a couple of teams really desperate for something right here. And, you know, normally that favors the home team but you just look across the board Penn State uh, the more talented team um, I think so um, it's it's really just a a crossroads game for each Um, you know I think a lot of people have written the season off because uh, the um, uh, college football play is off excuse me college football playoff is off the table and that's college football these days if you don't make the playoffs you know the the expectations are you know high for 10 or 12 teams and if you don't get there you know your 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 season is is pretty much shot Uh, I don't think it is you've got a new your sixty-eight game to play for probably something more likely is the Outback Bowl or something like that. Um, but yeah, you've got some uh, some seniors, especially Trace McSorley, worth playing for. So not quite time to shut it down just yet. No, and and in the grand scheme of things, look, this twenty eighteen season will end. The seniors will move on. You'll lose a lot of familiar faces again, and the beat marches on. This is college football. You know, you don't sign guys to contract extensions. You go and recruit guys, and you develop players. And so, I think anyone who says, "Ah, whatever happens in the next six games, whatever," not really the the case here. You know, James Franklin mentioning. Uh, on Wednesday after practice when asked about the subject of, of where this program is, you know, from a, a big, big picture point of view. And he says they think he thinks overall they're ahead of the schedule um, that a lot of people were probably anticipating when he first got to, to Happy Valley. And certainly after back to back seven and six seasons, that's not what anyone wants to hear right now. Everyone wants to to understand why this team isn't five and one or six and zero and in the top 10 with the shot to get back to Indianapolis for the big 10 title game, a chance to, 
to break down that door for the college football playoff. And instead, it's a 4-2 team. They're ranked 18th. That's the lowest they've been ranked since November of 2016. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is tricky because, you know, you think about it, they've entered 18 of their last 23 games as a top 10 team in college football. That's not the case against Indiana. And, and you know, the, the expectations that came into the season for a lot of the individual players that were so tied to the overall expectations, reality is beginning to set in in a lot of that. And so I think overall you're assessing where the roster is, not just right now, but who's ready to make some moves, push for jobs, and really state their case to become a next foundational player uh, for the remainder of this season as they attempt to get back on track, but also heading into next year because college football is always forward thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's two separate planes where you're looking at this team, you know, that that uh, direction from when Franklin took over, uh, you know, 2016 just kind of threw a wrench into everything. I mean, it was so much so fast. And then the expectations are just boom, just uh, just go crazy all of a sudden. And that's in one pile. And the other pile is, yes, you, you should be top 10. You should be, you know, maybe a one loss team, maybe an undefeated team. There's, there's, there's enough, I think, talent to go around and, and opportunities to win both of those games. And yes, that, I think it's completely fair to say that the expectations there, you know, have fallen short, but as a whole, as a program, I think it's, uh, you know, 2016, 2017 really skewed things because it was just so much so fast. And, you know, all of a sudden you're just kind of scratching your head thinking, you know, it, it, this was 2015. If this was 2016, looking ahead to 2018, if you took a top 20 program at that time, you'd probably take it. But uh, but that's neither here nor there. Those are two separate planes. And, you know, unfortunately for this team, we're on the plane where, you know, they should be a top 10 team right now. They should be still looking at that playoff, and they're not. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really remarkable. By the time they get on the field Saturday, it'll be three weeks since that Ohio State game. But it will have only been 68 minutes of game action since Penn State was leading Ohio State 26-14. to 14. Sweet Caroline's playing in Beaver Stadium. Penn State looks like they're on track to be in the driver's seat for Big Ten football. And I don't know how much more painful I can make this for our podcast listeners, but it was all right there for the taking. Now 68 minutes of game time later, this is a team uh, that that is in a bit of an identity crisis, and, and the demeanor has been a bit different this week than coming out of the bye week among players. Uh, certainly, in some of Franklin's uh, you know statements and the way he handled the last post game uh, conference was a lot different than what we saw after Ohio State. And, and you just wonder if they're ready to bounce back, if they can rally, because if they go to Indiana and the guys who haven't played well continue to struggle, uh, win or lose, there is going to be you know, enhanced noise in the negative manner around this program when for a while now they've enjoyed a nice run where most of the media coverage, most of the conversations were about Heisman trophies, the college football playoff, and just how impressive, you know, this, this momentum has been for the program. You know, that could come to a screeching halt if they don't get the outcome they're heading to Bloomington to get. And he's, of course, Tyler Donahue uh, opening up your wounds. Uh, that He can be reached at TD's Take on Twitter. Uh, so just feel free to, to get at him. Um, no, this, and- this week is the hardened fans. They know what they're investing in. And, and you know what? It'll make our conversations after the next big win uh, a little bit more gratifying. So shout out to you folks for staying with us. Uh, it's a long season. and But you got to talk about this stuff. We can't just skip over to losses. 
we're we're down over a thousand listens from from the Ohio State post Ohio State, which you know was down a little bit as well. So thank you to those for sticking with us. I know it's uh, for some it was just too painful to, to to relive that, but you know we're here to move on. We're here to talk about some different things. So so what does this mean for Penn State now moving on? I think you know I think an overlooked thing, and and you know nobody's happy with uh, the lack of being in the conversation with the playoff. There's a lot less pressure on this team. I think it it gives you an opportunity to to, to play a little bit under the radar now um of course nobody I, even though this game is on abc at 3 30 it's definitely not a marquee game for the big 10 this week so you get an opportunity to, to sort of be out of the spotlight regroup a little bit before iowa comes to town um, not looking past indiana whatsoever we're going to get to them um, later in the podcast but you know you you get some more time for the younger guys we've obviously talked about positions that have not stepped up that have not played up to par uh receivers one that steps, sticks out do you play a little bit more of Mac Hip and Hammer? Do you see more ca- uh, Cam Sullivan Brown, which we saw last week? Um, you know, you switch over to linebacker. Does Micah Parsons start to you know continue to eat away at those snaps from Koa Farmer? Ellis Brooks has gotten in the game as well. So I, I think you can see um, so some spots where you know it's 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 out of necessity. Some places like defensive tackle where you might see more PJ Mustafer and and some other the young some other young guys like CJ Thorpe, Damian Barber. But you, you've got an opportunity. I think there's a lot less pressure when you're playing these guys. And I think you see the snaps continue to even themselves out as we move along in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, when you're when you're on beaten into October and you're a team that expected to be there, uh, there is definitely a, a palpable buzz around the locker room around the media room, wherever on campus, because there's a thought that this could happen, that that the team could get to the point where they are competing for a national championship because the longer you go down this stretch and the college football playoff rankings start to come into fruition, if you can stay on blemish, that's great. Last year they got through seven games. This year they got through four games. And I think even now when you're a program of Penn State stature, um, and you enter the season w- with people perceiving you as a top 10 program, even one loss doesn't necessarily diminish that kind of buzz, that anticipation that you could be a playoff team. That second loss at this point in the current setup is a death knell when it comes to any ambitions beyond bowl games. Um, so yeah, you're right. The pressure's a little bit off, but uh, w- I think that's got to really sting for some of these guys who have, you know, they, they have soaked in the pressure, you know, most notably uh, Trace McSorley of all these players, but you know, when you mentioned the fact that maybe we'll see a little bit of a youth movement in certain spots, uh, I'm not so sure yet. I think I think it, that some of that's been injury related. Um, you know, there have, have been some underwhelming veterans uh, at different spots in the field. They're still being trotted out there for, for expansive reps, and uh, you know, but we'll see how it goes from here. And, and I am curious to see if we're going to see more freshmen on the field later in the season, not just because they're up by 30 points in the second half against Maryland or Rutgers, but because they. They want to get long looks at these players in crucial situations to get a good read on on where this program is as it bridges the gap from losing veterans to incorporating new players again, uh, you know, next spring. Yeah, and and it's been the older guys that have been you know sort of uh, you know falling short. I think is the way that we would we would phrase that. So you know you can you can you know sort of parse reps, take some reps from those guys and and move the younger guys in. And I think, like I said, I think it's more of a balancing than a complete you know uh, you know take the tablecloth out from under those older guys. Um, so I think the the opportunity is there to do that. And if there is a silver lining, which you know you know where the expectations are, you know where you know Penn State should be right now 
it doesn't really it's not much consolation but in terms of the continued program building you know that's that's something to take from this um in terms of indiana when penn state will will, will travel there 3 30 saturday on abc if you think penn state has had a, a rough six quarters um you know in the last couple of weeks i i know the expectations are different and you know penn state and indiana are very different in terms of football schools and things like that but 63 22 since halftime of the uh, of the ohio state game since indiana they've been hit for some big plays iowa just just pounded them last week iowa probably was more dominant uh over indiana than ohio state was so if you're indiana you're certainly searching for something but there's not a lot to like if you're the hoosiers right now yeah, and, and she's, I mean, go back again three weeks to, to where these teams were. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, Ohio State involved in both circumstances. You know, Indiana was really giving uh, the Buckeyes some, some fits in, in that game into the second quarter. Uh, ultimately, you know, like we've seen Penn State do in some past games, Illinois, Kent State, they turn on the Jets, they outclass their opponent. That's what Ohio State did in Indiana. And, you know, the defense is obviously struggling right now, giving up a ton of points. Um, and we'll get into their offense in a moment. But there's not a lot of um, a lot, of, not a lot of samples that that tell you that this is an offense that's going to dig itself out of a hole. It's an offense that will maintain. They'll be, be consistent, try to extend drives, but but they don't seem like that kind of explosive attack that's going to be able to overcome, say, a 14, 17 point deficit if Penn State's able to build that up. Uh, but you know, again, the last couple of trips here in the James Franklin era, I'll just stick with that. Um, you know, two years ago, this is a, a Penn State program that was on its way to win a Big Ten championship. With 17 minutes remaining in this game, they were down by 10 points at Indiana. Again, that's the Penn State team that just a few, uh, you know, about a month and a half later wins the Big Ten championship. They were on the ropes a little bit. They surged to the finish line, ended up getting a pretty comfortable win late. Um, but yeah, I think two, two, the four years ago, I should say, in 2014, James Franklin's first trip out there with Penn State. Uh, they relied on two Sam Ficken field goals in the second half to win 13 to seven. And I know it's always difficult to, to, you know, go back years, especially when it's two or four years, but you know, the track record tells you that it's going to be a little bit uh, more challenging perhaps than if this game was on a neutral field. There's no doubt about if it was a Beaver stadium, just something about something about this circumstance so far that has given Penn state some issues. Yeah, and actually, I can't remember the last time it wasn't a noon kick, so maybe that'll play into Penn State's hands a little bit, give a little bit more time to, to get their feet under them. Uh, I, I had trouble pinning down what Indiana did. I, I called my buddy Zach Osterman at the Indy Star uh, this week and say, hey, just what what the hell do these guys do? Like, I mean, I, the, there's there's talent in some spots, and, and Peyton Ramsey's completing something like 70-some percent of his passes so far. I was just like, what what is this team? And, and he, he's like... You know what? He's not sure either. He's been covering this team all year. They have no established strength whatsoever. They're not an offensive team. They're not a defensive team. They're not a run team, a pass team, anything like that. It's just a a team without an identity so far. And, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. But it's just, uh, I think, very uninspired is is the way that I would put it right now. You've got uh, Peyton Ramsey, who I may have just called Patrick Ramsey. Just sorry, some old Redskins scars opening there. (laughs) Um, But Peyton Ramsey, um, you know, very 
very low in yards per attempt. He's going to throw a lot to the, uh, you know, a lot of the the, the picks, the rub routes, uh, screens, and things like that. They've got an, a, bu- a bunch of offensive pass interference calls on them this year. Try and get some things, and I, and I think this is something that you know can be good for Penn State. But at the same time, this is going to exploit Penn State's tackling, which was really bad earlier in the year. It's gotten better in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we'll say it once again: defense was good enough to win against Ohio State, Michigan State. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to go back to to tackling, moving those linebackers around. Going to need a game, a big game out of somebody like Cam Brown this weekend. Yeah, and and interestingly enough, this is an, uh, an Indiana team, as you said. The identity isn't really there, uh, but a win here, and it, that's a tall task for this Hoosier squad because they've won three Big Ten games since, under the current coaching regime. Two of them come against Rutgers, one against Illinois, and obviously this would be a landmark win. With all that said, they're one win away from their first five and three start since two thousand seven. So. There are signs of potential progress in Bloomington, but thus far in the Big Ten, uh, not so much. Uh, you know, how much can you take away from a Rutgers victory? And that's coming from a Rutgers graduate. And and the last couple of games have been pretty disheartening for this team. Uh, so I, I think with Indiana, you know, they're going to get up for this game. There's no doubt about it. I think the danger is if Penn State right now in that locker room, we don't have a, a finger on the pulse of that entire situation. Like I said, the demeanor seems a little bit different. It seems a little more disappointed than it does motivated, which is kind of the sense I got last week. Um, that can't be the case because you go on the road to Bloomington, get on that plane, and and, and think you're going to be able to kind of just get yourself back on track by simply getting on the football field and being better athletically. That's not going to work for Penn State right now. You know, they talked about the little things, being sharper from a coaching staff perspective, from a player perspective. A lot of guys have personal uh, answers that they need to deliver out there, and the team overall has one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is a game where um, <laughs> there are some dangers there. I, I, I know everyone probably focusing in on that stretch that's upcoming, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin. It's a daunting three-game slate. But this Indiana team, I, I just think it, it, there's a danger where Penn State is right now kind of on shaky ground, regardless of what happened last week for them, regardless of what's happened since the second half of Ohio State. Uh, this is a potential pitfall. Yeah, absolutely. And every time you go to Indiana, it's tough. But when you're playing like like they're playing, and, and granted, you know, Ohio State is top of the board in terms of the Big Ten. Michigan State you know, wasn't terribly impressed with it all, but you know exactly what you're going to get with Michigan State for the most part. So this Indiana team, uh, I, I think probably more efficient between the 20s than you give them credit for, especially if you look at their red zone numbers. If you look at, uh, you know, where they're at, they're not explosive, but it's one of those teams that you have to just keep in front of you, keep forcing to punt, get off the the field on third down uh, I think you're going to see a lot of quick things so you know that pass rush that everyone is looking for from Penn State probably not going to be much of a factor this weekend got to get those hands up I'm, I'm not sure how many tip balls Penn State has at the line of scrimmage this year but I, I could probably count it on one hand if uh, if, if there's any um, so it's uh, it's one of those situations where you know, this is this is a team that can play into your hands, but at the same time, you've got to keep the keep the lid on them, keep them back, and uh, you know, just sort of tackle. You know, it's uh, it's funny just how how it can break down to the simple things. But where Penn State's been in the last uh, or in the first couple of weeks of the season against teams similarly similarly talented than or to Indiana, that's what you got to go back to. It's interesting looking at Penn. Uh, I'm sorry, Indiana's uh, you know cumulative uh, offensive results through six through seven games for them now. 
they've got receivers who are have been very active. I mean, seven guys on this team have at least 18 catches. Uh, I believe now four of them are over uh, 20 catches. And so there's been a distribution. But to our point earlier where this is a team that's going to try to pick up uh, more so smaller chunks rather than extending things vertically, I think. Uh, out of those seven players, only one is averaging more than 11 yards per catch. Um, so I, I think that's that's something to monitor. And, and, and you know, Franklin said they're going to need to account for everybody. They're not necessarily going to be able to key in on one particular target in the past game. But I think somebody who... If there is a, a game-changing ability out there, probably Jay Sean Harris. I mean, to this point as a receiver, he's only averaging uh, nine yards per catch uh, on 24 receptions. So that doesn't wow you. But in the open field, he's dangerous. Look at his special teams track record. Three punt returns for touchdowns since 2017 for Jay Sean Harris. And by the way, they've got you know one of the better true freshman running backs, at least one of the more productive true freshman running backs in Stevie Scott, who's done a nice job taking over with you know Morgan Ellison, who looked very promising, having some serious off-field issues. Stevie Scott, that name's familiar. I don't know. Can you can you put that together for me? What what what's he got going for him that similar running backs have have had before? Yeah, he was supposed to be a Rutgers running back. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Thomas, a, a proud legacy of coulda, shoulda, wouldas in the in the uh, Scarlet Knights backfield. Yeah, plenty coulda, shoulda, wouldas there. Uh, moving on, uh, one more thing on the offense. You mentioned Jay Sean Harris. Uh, offensively, fine, you know, whatever. But as a punt returner, very dangerous. Penn State is going to have to account for him. And then beyond that, um, a very conservative offense. They've got an offensive coordinator who's been in the game for a long, long time. And, you know, you, you sort of old man ball if you want to if you want to stereotype what, what they do. But they will throw some trick plays. Penn State's been susceptible to that. My, I can't not speak today uh been, they've been susceptible to that in the last couple of weeks halfback passes things like that and indiana for a team that that is not as talented as their opposition will will probably throw some of those out there defensively uh, a young defense Penn, uh, excuse me indiana lost a lot from last year they had a couple of really good linebackers uh t gray scales was uh, all american for them last year um so a lot of replacing them young defense they don't uh, they, they preach not giving up big plays and not making mistakes the last couple of weeks they've they've given up a lot of plays and uh, and have made a lot of mistakes and that's of course turned into what 63 22 in the last six quarters 12 touchdown passes in the last two weeks and you know that's uh you know it's all well and good Dwayne Haskins had a really good game against them but Iowa you know really gave it to them through the air which is not really what you expect from an Iowa team Iowa's tight ends really had their way with Indiana and you know that's (laughs) goes back to the conversation that I feel like I've had more than any other uh you know whether it's during you know just conversations on the beat or, or during interviews with player and coaches this week, can Penn State go to the air successfully against this team? And if they can't, how big of an issue is that? Because this is slowly descending into a serious conundrum on Penn State's inability to produce through the air. Um, it was, you know, seemed to be a strong suit. It certainly had some explosive moments for the first uh, few weeks of the season, you know, in, into into the Ohio State game even with, with K.J. Hamlin on the 93-yard touchdown. Uh, but, boy, uh, things have changed in a hurry with this with this team. And, and, you know, the numbers aren't pretty. I mentioned them earlier this week. Uh, you know, Trace McSorley's completion percentage is down 12 points from where it was last year. James Franklin saying on Tuesday – uh, there are perhaps a little bit of disconnect issues in, in him holding the ball rather than letting it fly because of stuff that happened previously in the game. Uh, so are there some lingering doubts about 
the ability to get the ball into these guys' hands and for them to make catches on the back end of these plays, all part of the equation and uh, you know, something that we're going to be monitoring closely because this is really the game, as I said at the top of the show, where you look at the rest of the schedule all the way into middle November, this is the game that you have an opportunity uh, to exploit some some serious deficiencies on the other side of the football, uh, you know, gain some confidence in key spots because if you're lacking confidence heading out of Bloomington, uh, this program could be could be in some serious trouble during the rest of the season. Yeah, the six games left, and obviously this is a, a crossroads game as you mentioned. So, I mean, we, we were watching him at practice the other night, and you know, McSorley was off uh, his receivers. He was working with uh, Juwan Johnson and KJ Hamler. They were off as well. I mean, you know, McSorley not quite putting the ball where he needed to, but when he did, you know, there there were some drops. And I think you know, given what we've seen this season, that's a serious concern for Penn State. Um, even even with Hamler, who's been, I guess your most reliable he's had a couple drops here and there but you know nobody's stepped up and been that guy more than KJ Hamler and actually I do think this could be a big game for Hamler um, Indiana has struggled with uh, with giving up some of these big plays and and Hamler's your big play guy you, you need someone to step up and it, and we say it I think we've said it every episode not just every week but every week or excuse me every episode somebody's got to do something and it's just it hasn't happened yet um you know i i look at pat fryermuth he's really stepped up and really elevated his game and 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 sort of moved the sticks for penn state i think you can see him have an opportunity to shine this week a little bit more he's got uh you know favorable matchups as i said earlier iowa's tight ends really just kind of ate uh indiana's secondary for lunch but uh yeah i mean it's 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 all about that stepping up thing and it's it's more so than a next man up because if somebody steps up i mean there's six games to go that's that somebody can take your job yeah and you know kj hamler how how important has he been well he has 150 plus more receiving yards than anyone else on this penn state roster uh this is a team that, that last year had four guys with 50 plus receptions mike Isiki, deshaun hamilton saquon barkley Jawan johnson now halfway through this 2018 season Nobody has 20 catches. Uh, Nick Bowers had three catches um, uh, for 18 yards against Michigan State, but I want to point towards the catches because the point I want to make is DeAndre Tompkins has zero catches in the past two games, um, and and that matches the total that Brandon Polk has had. He has three catches in the past two games. And cumulatively, when you look at Jawan Johnson, Brandon Polk, DeAndre Tompkins, the veterans in that receiver group, the guys who currently – carry starting designation of course Polk and Tompkins have been co-starters now for most of the season Johnson outright they've combined in the past two games the biggest games of the year 10 catches 123 yards no touchdowns that's that's def- there you that's, go. that's deflating right there I mean it's 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 tough to sort of comprehend where those guys are because coming into the season those are the three guys that you had lined up as starters Tompkins of course was in the slot and then they moved him outside and all but disappeared then so yeah I mean you look at a guy like Mac hip and hammer and think you know if he's if he's gonna back up KJ Hamler in the slot that's fine but if he's gonna be more productive than those outside guys and Polk and Tompkins at the Z then maybe move him out there and see what he can do so I mean it's uh there's I don't think there's really any good answers right now that that wide receiver room taking a huge step back from last year and you know it's not just because Deshaun Hamilton's not there to bail you out I mean these guys you know have had opportunities to catch the ball they've been open they've been able to uh you know find some space at times last week uh sort of excluded but they've been able to find space at times and and really not carry the offense like they've needed to 
Yeah, and and all due respect to Brandon Polk, who who has you know fought through things with this program and and, and reemerged as a guy early this season. Had the big catch against App State. He had touchdown receptions in the next two games against Pitt and Kent State. Uh, but he's not a game changer. Uh, we've seen signs of, of guys being game changers uh, from DeAndre Tompkins and Jawan Johnson. You know, just last year. Uh, granted, you know, Tom, Tompkins was a nice supplemental weapon. You could almost call him a luxury in the offense because of the talent they had all over the place last year. He needed to take a step forward, become a mainstay. And Jawan Johnson, obviously, he was the you know the blossoming superstar potential kind of player last year. He caught five passes or more in the last four games of the 2017 season. Um, he seemed, you know, totally package ready to to make that jump and and be a, a number one or, or you know at this point a compliment to KJ Hamler. When you look at where things are through six games, you're not getting that. Jawan Johnson's best performance of the year, 61 yards against Ohio State, that would have been his eighth best performance of 2017. And when you look in terms of yardage output, and then DeAndre Tompkins, you know, that's just a hard, hard question to answer. Perhaps we'll get answers someday from him, uh, from Ricky Ronnie, from James Franklin. But for whatever reason, not happening in any way, shape, or form. He had that. You know, potential breakout game against Kent State where he caught a touchdown to end the first drive, four catches, 101 yards. In the other five games combined this season, Sean, two catches for 10 yards. Again, goose eggs on the board against Michigan State and Ohio State. This is a guy who's listed as a co-starter. And I mentioned this earlier in the week, uh, Mac Hippenhammer making a move with the expanded reps. Pat Fryermuth and KJ Hamler leading the team last week with seven receptions apiece, or I'm sorry, seven targets apiece. That's about half of the target share for the entire team going to those two freshmen in particular. You throw in Mac Hippenhammer and Cam Sullivan Brown, that's more than half of the targets from McSorley going to players who were in their sixth career college game. And Ricky Ronnie made available to the media on Thursday morning, Sean, it was the first chance we had a chance to talk to him uh, in a media session since the you know the beginning press conference of preseason camp. So we had some things to catch up on with Ricky Ronnie. And, and what I specifically asked personally, I, I said, that position that you've got Tompkins and Polk sharing, the production has been so limited. 53 receiving yards now in Big Ten play. 53 receiving yards between the two of them in three Big Ten games. I said, you know, is that a personnel thing or is that an offensive scheme thing where you've got to address whatever's going on in that spot? And he said it was not a personnel thing. He said it is due to the way defenses are uh, approaching Penn State. And I think that's just a, a response that's going to be tough to take uh, among Nittany Lions fans. Yeah, tough to take here too. I mean, you've got uh, opportunities there. Penn State has had success at the Z position in the back in the in the past, and you know the, the coordinators are different, but the offense pretty much remains the same. I think the the crazy thing from from a recruiting angle is is how did Penn State get here? I think I think there is talent in that room. There's guys, but if you look at the 2016 class, I think this is this is a spot that you can trace it back to. Josh Gaddis went all in on Trey Nixon, and it backfired. I mean, this is a this is a situation where he, you know, basically got on Trey Nixon very early. Trey Nixon gave them all the indications that he was probably going to end up here. But then in the end, it was too far from home. Um, you've got other targets out there. Steven Smothers went to West Virginia, was an academic casualty. Dredjik Snelson is having a heck of a career at, at UCF, but he was a big question mark. They brought him in for, I think, a, a weekend before.
before signing day visit. Uh, Eddie McDoom and Nate Johnson went to Michigan. Both have washed out uh, just all over the place. There's, uh, Phil Patterson is a guy they probably should have had that went to Virginia Tech. And uh, Taysier Mack, who's at Pitt now. And the only like, the only guy that they ended up signing was Dalen Darian, who's a linebacker now. So if you're looking into to where things stand, and, and you can do this at, at defensive tackle, you can do this at linebacker. A couple of classes right in the middle of the Franklin regime were short at a couple of positions, wide receiver being one of them. And I think they're, they're sort of seeing the fallout from that now. You took me way back with the Trey Nixon mention. I remember talking to him some point late in the season in 2015 and, and him really sounding like, well, Penn State thinks I could be a missing piece there and they don't have someone like me. Took me back to that conversation. And, and you're right, there there is that, you know, that's the reason why we see you know, three guys who've been on campus for four or five years. And then we see a bunch of guys who've, who've been on campus, you know, for a few games. Um, it, it's, you know, that's that fall off has been noticeable. But at the end of the day, Sean, I mean, <laughs> the trust is starting to, to veer more towards those young contributors and, and Friermuth and not just starting. It's been apparent. And and, and, and Franklin, had mentioned, and it was hard to, to read this, uh, you know, I asked a follow up on it, too. But Franklin had said on Tuesday uh, you know that McSorley hasn't been, hasn't kind of pulled the trigger on some passes because in the back of him, his mind is some trust issues. But at this point, I'm thinking that's got to be more with the veterans than it is with the new guys because he's going to Pat Fryermuth in crucial situations each of the past two weeks. I don't think he's avoiding KJ Hamler by any means, and we've seen Matt Hippenhammer get the ball thrown his way in crucial spots. Two point conversion against Ohio State that was unsuccessful uh, last week against Michigan State. Um, you know, we're not seeing DeAndre Tompkins get targets. We're seeing limited action on the field, mostly for, for Johnson and Polk. And, um, you know, when you talk about if there would be a trust issue with this passing game, you would think it would be more geared towards those kids who haven't played much college football and haven't been through a lot with Trace McSorley. Instead, it's kind of flipped over on its head and, and we're kind of left with this conundrum in the passing game and, and a will they or won't they situation with the, uh, often referenced freshman receivers here on the podcast. I know it's it's my specialty here to, to bring those guys up, and I'll do it again because, of course, they were asked about uh, you know, a couple times this week, um, and and you know they're going to go full steam ahead. You know, the, the indication we're getting from everybody, and it's what you'd expect to hear, is the confidence is in these wide receivers, and until we seek some kind of wholesale wholesale substitution in these games and uh, or a really uh, major cut into their reps. I mean, it, it has really been, I mean, they came out of the bye week, they rolled those same guys out there and they got, you know, probably worse results uh, than they've had at any point this season. And you just have to wonder when do you just have to move on and, and, and try something different? There comes to a point where you would think that becomes a necessity I know they're trying to avoid doing that, and 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 I respect it. And we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but you know, is Matt Kippenhammer in line to ascend a little bit more? Does Cam Sullivan Brown, as I said, jump in there? Any of these true freshmen, is there a chance? But uh, I think to to keep rolling these guys out and get the results, you know, I'll say it again: fifty-three combined receiving yards for Polk and Tompkins through three Big Ten games. How long can you keep that going? and think that you're putting the team in the best position to win. 
Yeah, and the the Justin Shorter injury in camp really hurt them, and he's still banged up. And I think that's you know what that's the reason we haven't seen him out there. Jahan Dotson, we were saying before, you know, despite his the high praise and everything through camp, I mean it's it's pretty windy out right now. So if he doesn't get blown away, that's a, that's a win for Penn State. He's still got some weight to add and things like that. Uh, a couple of things. Um, number one, Trey Nixon and Dredricks Nelson. Number two and number three on UCF and receiving yards right now because that was bothering me off the top of my head, and I'm sure that's probably been bothering other people. Um, that are crazy. It was bothering well. me, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but no, I mean, uh, Trace McSorley, he's got to be more accurate. And that's uh, that leads me to my next point. You want to see, I want to see KJ Hamler get the ball closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, we, we know what he can do. He's, he's dangerous with the ball in his hand. It was a hot, bu- uh, hot button issue on the board this week. Um, you know, one of our users showed some screenshots of Penn State's first down looks and KJ Hamler on basically on an island by himself and you know Penn State's running the the RPO in the line I guess you could probably just call it his own read because uh, I don't think there was any pass option there um, but uh, yeah the the opportunity to, to get KJ Hamler the ball even if it just you know even if you get four yards out of it opens up things a little bit and gets people moving around and I think for a defense like Indiana a defense a Tom uh, Tom Allen defense where you've been able to play Penn State against the run very well when you've had Saquon Bar- Barkley. Now, what are you going to do with Miles Sanders? Are you going to load the box and dare them to throw? And, and given what we've seen from Penn State's receivers, I think that's the way to go. That's a great point. And the short area passing game has been so impressive for Penn State in recent years. I mean, obviously, Saquon Barkley, there's not many running backs in the history of college football who have been as dynamic as a receiver as Saquon Barkley is. And again, showing now in his NFL career. So you were spoiled there. But, you know, in keeping up with that, Miles Sanders, I mean, he's got to get more involved in this passing game. Uh, he has two catches uh, in Big Ten play. Uh, those two catches resulted in two yards. Both came against Ohio State. We didn't see him catch a pass against Illinois, Michigan State. And uh, nine receptions on the season for 58 yards. Again, Barkley last year, 50-plus uh, receptions. Not saying that Miles Sanders isn't doing a phenomenal job in his role, what he's asked of. But, you know, do you try to facilitate a little more action to him through the air? Because he's a guy, like Ricky Ronnie said on the phone call Thursday, they need to do a better job of getting him in space because he can make special things happen. You know, K.J. Hamler, clearly one of those guys, too. And another that comes to mind that I think could really be an asset in the short area passing game, ultimately that depends on the confidence with where, with where he's at right now in his, progress, in his development, is Ricky Slade. I thought he was one of the most impressive receiving backs uh, in the 2018 recruiting class. Showed that a lot in high school. Uh, heard some stuff, good things about that from his teammates during training camp. We have yet to see that in a game. But quite frankly, we don't really know what the deal is with Ricky Slade and, and how he fits and what the plans are because he's got one touch in, in the past two games now. Uh, didn't play against Ohio State. One carry for eight yards uh, against uh, Michigan State. And this is a guy who on his previous 11 touches had three touchdowns. So hard to get a read on how he fits in, but he's another name that comes to mind when you think about where Trace McSorley can get that ball out quick. Uh, it may only travel two or three yards, but it can't, could end up being a 20-yard gain. Yeah, and, and it doesn't have to be a 20-yard gain. It doesn't have to be an 80-yard touchdown. If you just kind of open up the defense a little bit, get their linebackers moving. Indiana's linebackers, not that great, um, to be honest with you. Their pass rush is, is okay. It really struggled getting home against Iowa last week. Probably should have had three or four more sacks, but um, you know Iowa's quarterback was a little bit too big and strong for those guys. So the opportunity is there. We, we haven't even talked about Chaz Wright seeing the first-team 
refs at right tackle. So, you know, I think uh, probably with Will Fry struggling, you might want to get back to the running game a little bit more. But at the same time, uh, you got to keep McSorley upright. You're going to dump the ball off a little bit more. Um, Maybe get the tight end out in the flat, get the ball to Hamler close to the line of scrimmage and see what they could do for it just to spread out this defense. And when that happens, as you saw last week against Michigan State, when that defense is spread out, Miles Sanders has an opportunity to to, to run the ball and run it uh, for a long way. So um, it's going to be interesting to see the changes this week. I think there will be an adjustment. I don't think the, you know, as we as we said last week, square peg, round hole type thing, I don't think we're going to see that this week. I think, you know, Ronnie is adaptable despite what, what people want to think about him. And, and, and we'll see how just how he can excuse me we'll see just what kind of changes that he can make to sort of open up the field a little bit more for McSorley to do his thing I think if there's one position where Penn State really likes how things are trending and this won't surprise any of our listeners it's tight end not only is it Pat Fryermuth, but I think there's a lot of confidence growing in Nick Bowers as you know the second option there someone that can get involved now he's not going to be a, a dynamic downfield threat, but you know he's pretty hard to bring down in the open field as we've seen when he gets the ball in his hands. Uh, and I, you know, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, Iowa took it to them with their tight end play. Of course, the Hawkeyes have one of the best in the country at that position, but I think this is a spot where you know Pat Fryermuth continues that. Nick Bowers can contribute, but it, it comes down and and you mentioned you don't need to get twenty yards on those short passes, you know. Four, five, six yards works a lot of the time. We've heard about this, you know, team staying on schedule offensively. Miles Sanders falling forward for a two-yard gain instead of bouncing it outside for a two-yard loss. That leads to the third down issue that we haven't touched on yet on this show. Penn State in the past two games, six for 31 on third down plays. I mean, that is horrendous, obviously. It tells the story a lot. And in and, and, and key moments late in these games, where a first down puts you in the win column didn't happen in those situations either. Um, you know, so, you know, some, some issues, you know, we talked about the receivers a lot and now we're talking about right tackle. Um, and, and I think, you know, it all piles onto the fact that if you're in third and sevens, thirds and eights, this team as currently, uh, you know, as they're currently attacking opponents, isn't constructed very well to do that at the moment, apparently, because again, six of 31, uh, you know, that's, that's brutal. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty bad. I, I and it was funny, you know, considering where Penn State was after first down a lot last week. I looked at, at the, uh, the 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 scheduling things, and and a lot of their third downs were third and less than six. So you know, fairly on schedule, but still just just not making it happen. So. Um, a lot to iron out there. Offensive line obviously has to be better than it was last week. It'd be interesting to see, you know, if they get numbers thrown at them, how they will react because they have not done well, you know, outnumbered. And not not every offensive line is is going to be good when they they have to block seven guys with five. But at the same time, um, you know, we'll see these guys move around a little bit more and uh, sort of, you know, just uh, sort of spring a couple of guys. Chaz Wright takes up a lot of space. It takes a long time to run around Chaz Wright. I, we, we, we know he's not the most skilled guy. We know he's not the most fleet of foot guy, but we'll see how that works. And Will Fry's probably looking at the last couple of games, probably could have used a break. So um, really interesting up front. Uh, you just you just don't know where the confidence level is going in. I mean, Trace is always going to be confident. He knows he needs to be better. He needs to knows he needs to be more accurate. Miles Sanders, I think, has been fine. The offensive line needs to be better. The tight ends have been okay. The receivers definitely need to be better. Um, we haven't really touched on the, the the Fred Hansard stuff this week, where the you know the interior of the defensive line is going to see more bodies in there. You're going to see more of Shelton this week, probably more Mustafer and and if Thorpe and, and Barber can come around and give you reps. 
that's great. Um, but yeah, it's just everywhere you look across the board just just needs to be better. And that's not any kind of crazy reaction or excuse me, any kind of crazy analysis. And I know if you're hanging on with us after 42 minutes of talking in Indiana, God bless you, man. But thanks for doing that. But it's just uh, Penn State just needs a better all around effort this week. They're the more talented team. No doubt about that with some pressure off. I think they can be OK. And really quickly to, to jump into the defense uh, because we haven't because the offense has been the story for the wrong reasons uh, this week. Uh, defense is playing its best football of the season at this point based on what we've seen against Ohio State, against Michigan State. You know, you put up, you hold Michigan State to, to 14 points uh, into the final minute. You hold Ohio State to 14 points into the final half of the fourth quarter. Uh, that's good enough. I mean, that's good enough in my book with this offense, with, with where this team is to win. I know no one wants to really hear that. The defensive players themselves don't want to say it either. Uh, but they have kind of over been overshadowed by the offense uh, these past couple weeks in the fourth down play call against Ohio State and, and the inefficiencies on the offense against Michigan State overall. Uh, we've kind of, you know, f- failed to... Glue into the fact that maybe this defense is on a right path and 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 has found its footing and and is progressing and guys like Garrett Taylor are, are making steps. Of course, you know the thing that spoils all of that is end of the day, Felton Davis gets into the end zone by beating Amani Oroorie and Ohio State's able to pull off uh, you know the Benjamin Victor pass and they get that rally. So ultimately, the taste that's left in your mouth is you know I don't feel so good about the defense, but I will say halfway through this season. Defense has come along nicely. I think when you look back and rewatch that App State film, you'll see a much different defense on the field. Uh, and, and this is the kind of moment for them if they are ready to take a step forward. They got to go and they got to assert themselves against this Indiana team. They got bullied, bullied a little bit against Iowa. I think Peyton Ramsey, if you knock him around, uh, there's some turnovers for the taking there. Um, and if you are trying to establish this identity on defense, it's a good time to do that because you've got some bruisers coming up the next few weeks who are really going to challenge, uh, you know, your manhood in the trenches against some of you know Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa. A nice time to gain that confidence. And and let's face it, it's a young defense looking towards the future. A strong finish here could really change the way this team is viewed from a complexion standpoint going into 2019 because we may be talking about the defense being the better known quantity yeah and we may be talking about that early next week when we join you again uh hopefully there are a few fewer gut punches in that episode as we wrap up penn state's trip to indiana tyler will be in bloomington this week mark brennan will be in bloomington this week i will not be um but uh thank you for joining us on the lions 24 7 podcast again thanks for sticking with us after the last couple of weeks we know it's been pretty brutal to listen to but hey we're, we're recording on skype now and we sound a lot better, so we'll go with that. Um, but uh, thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify. He's Tyler Donahue. I'm Sean Fitz, and we will be back early next week. In the world, in this world, they divide us all.